Welcome. We're excited. It's a good thing I have the, the humor part down. Right. Funny. Right. Has anyone heard a repeated joke from Pastor Tom and laughs it's every always time? always fresh. Good. Nobody raised their hand. Oh. Good job. Hey, we're excited. It's going to be a little bit different this morning, as you tell. No, we're not all up here to preach a message together, but we are doing a little bit something different. We're asking questions that you guys sent in throughout the week. Um, and if you have questions now throughout the service, um, you can still ask them, but you're going to have to do it tomorrow. Um, and you can come into the church and then talk to Pastor Tom for the next couple hours. So they're going to spend probably, you know, just about four hours. So um, just answering these questions. So I hope you're ready. And the first question is, Pastor Tom, you know, a lot of times we have cheese puffs come into this building and all of a sudden they just disappear. Can you explain this cheese puff thief? I don't even know what the cheese puff is. Not even the ones that were sitting on I, your desk Listen, the other I'll day. just come clean. If if. If you bring a thing, a bag of cheese puffs in here for an event that's upcoming, it better be upcoming fast. Oh. If you eat half the bag and leave it for the another event, um, you probably should run to the store. So, right. Yeah. And this is not him talking from experience at all. <laughs> Listen, I, I just a couple of weeks ago there was a youth activity, I think, and there was a bag of cheese puffs on my desk afterwards. So. Really? I didn't put them there. They just appeared on your desk. They just were there. Okay. So that's the story I'm using, and I ate them. Yes, okay. He confessed. So with you, you know, confessing and practicing that discipline, I have a question for you, and that's how did you become a Christian? Oh, well, um, so I grew up in a, a, a home that we, we went to a church. We went to a United Methodist Church in Georgia. We moved to California. We went to a church for a while when we were in Orange County. We moved out to the desert area, and... And we really had not plugged in anywhere to, to a church at that point. Um, we were doing Boy Scouts. Uh, there was a very small troop in this desert community. Uh, and that was a time where, you know, we didn't have video games and stuff like that. So, if uh, like, laying around the house meant you were, like, under your parents' feet all the time. So they're like, you're not going to do that. So uh, you're going to get out of the house and go do stuff, you know, ride your bike till that street light comes on and then be home. Um, that, that was that era. Well, there was an article in the Butterfield Express, that was the little town's paper, and it said that a new youth pastor at the Sunnymead Wesleyan Methodist Church, and I am positive my parents had no idea what the word Wesleyan meant, but they did know Methodist. Now, you got to understand, that may mean nothing to you, but in 1968, the Wesleyans merged with another denomination, and the word Methodist and Wesleyan Methodist was dropped uh, in entirely. Remember that, Kevin, right? Yeah. So uh, it was the Wesleyan Church after that, but this church had never changed their name or their sign. They just kind of dug their feet in and said, no, we're going to be Wesleyan Methodist. But for us, that worked because my parents decided that was comfortable place to drop us off. That new youth pastor was Mark Wilson. Uh, he was very significant in my life. Um, and uh, then a little bit later, we went to a beach camp. This is, I'd been in a youth group about three years, and... I went, we went to this camp. The assistant pastor was down on the beach, and he said, I probably told this story in church. Um, he said, those waves will come in all night long, and only God will be here to see them. And, of course, we did what, you know, any high school boys would do. We'd kind of mock that uh, as we jokingly went back up and said, oh, look at that shrub. It'll blow in the wind all night long, you know, that kind of stuff. But when I got back to my tent, and the, the guy I was rooming with had already gone home for some reason, so it was just me and my tent, and I remember entertaining the thought, 
if God was like that, like if I was totally alone in life and nobody cared about me, that was not my life. My parents cared deeply for me. But if my life was like that and God said, even if it's just you, I would stay close to you all night long, like that, that would be a God I'd be interested in. That was a starting point. For me, from that point on, I had an interest in knowing God, knowing about God. Instead of just girls and pizza, youth group became, I, like, the teaching was very important to me after that. I learned about Jesus. I learned what he was all about, about learned about atonement, all of that type of stuff. I'm sure there was a point later where I said what, like, we call the sinner's prayer. Um, but I marked that night as the night I became a Christian where I said, I'm, I'm, I, I want to follow you, God, and learn all about you. Pastor Anson, how did you become a Christian? Okay, so uh, so this is this is my uh, testimony from Discovery or um, from the from the discipleship program that uh, we launched a couple of years back, and so you may be familiar, you may have even heard this, but um, and so me and my family moved from uh, California uh, when I was 11 years old, um, but up until that point, I didn't really know much about church, hadn't really been you know influenced that way at all. But when I got to North Carolina. It seemed like everybody had a church, right? And so I got invited to, to several things. Um, and so I uh, went on youth, youth group activities, went to church, stuff like that. But I didn't really understand what I was uh, getting myself into. Um, but sort of during this same span, I, I feel like I, I began to question who I was and, and, and my identity. It sounds a little cliche, cliche now, but I didn't really know who I was, you know. Um, and so I would attach myself to any friend group that I could to be accepted. And so if they went to church, I went to church. If we skipped school, well, we skipped school. If we did other things, we did terrible things. But it, it was all just to be accepted in life. Um, but, but when I was 15, uh, one of my friends, and it's, it's funny enough, the friend that I mentioned, we used to get in trouble too. So this is... Kind of, but anyway, so he he brought me to a youth rally or youth event where there was a band and a, and a speaker and all that good stuff. And it was the first thing like that I'd ever been to. And so, um, the gospel hit me that night, um, and I could feel the presence of God, um, you know, pulling at my heart. I mean, it was very real. Um, so I asked the Lord into my heart that night. He, my friend who was 16 at the time, he led me through that, and so I became a follower that night. But he was only 16. I was only 15. None of us knew what discipleship was or follow-up. I, I didn't even, even go to church after that. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't anything that, that stuck, I guess you could say. Um, but, I, but I know for a fact I had a, a moment with God. So um, fast forward a couple more years. Uh, I'm in high school now, uh, and I meet the love of my life. Well, we end up getting pregnant um, just after high school. And... Um, I remember when my daughter was born. I remember when my daughter was born, um, and I didn't even have a job at the time. Um, but the day that that she was born, I was questioning, who who am I? What, what kind of man am I going to be? What kind of father? What kind of husband? How am I supposed to handle all these things that? at 19 years old, and so I knew that question was stirring, stirring in my heart, stirring in my mind, um, and so, and so me and, uh, me and Deborah, we, we push forward, and we, we build a, you know, build a life, build a family, she goes to school, I go to work, um, and, and we, and we push through all of life's little things, 
And then that same friend who led me to the Lord when, uh, when I was 15, he ends up going off to school and college and becomes a pastor and comes back and starts a church. So now um, we're probably in our, our early 20s, and, and I, we start attending church with this guy. And, and so during that time, I rededicate my life to Christ, and then from that moment, we, we continue to serve. Um, and so we, we did a lot of roles, but um, I, I journeyed through life trying to decide, you know, the man I wanted to be, and God was helping me along the way in Jesus. And funny enough, it was about another 10 years before I had another significant moment with the Holy Spirit where, where he just greatly, you know, hit me. Um, and then from then on, I've just been, you know, trying to be the, the best man that I can be through the help of, of God in Christ. And and things are so much different now, and, and I, I think I just thank the Lord for everything that he's, he's brought us through. And so... That's good. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, we can we can we can clap for that. I think it's so powerful when we can hear testimony like that, and when we get so vulnerable because that speaks so loud. So thank you for sharing that. And Anton, when was it that you came on staff, and how did you be come to be on staff at Wendover Hills? All right. So, and actually, that's funny. It continues the story. So, the church that we were serving at, um, it it had changed pastors a couple of times. Um, and we were there, I'm going to guess, seven or eight years. Um, and by the time I'd been on staff at that church in multiple positions, but finally I was doing youth and worship team. And there was, there was just a falling out in the church. And so we, we decided we were going to leave uh, that church. Um, and so we had met Jesse Gasperson. Some of you may know from, from, one, from the original pastor who founded Warnerville's church. This was his son. What he'd end up at our church playing guitar for us. Um, I don't know much of that backstory, but he was there, so that's how I met. We met Jesse. We met Kathy Woods through some other um, parachurch stuff that we were doing. And so as we bounced around looking for another church, we landed at Wonder Hills Church um, in the warehouse. So we spent about nine months there, and, and we can clearly look back now, and that was, that was just a time of healing for us. Um, Wendover Hills did a great job at, at welcoming us and, and including us and, and sort of getting us back back on track. Um, and then we spent about nine months in the warehouse with you guys. This was right before you moved to the school. Um, me and Cecil, who's actually back there now, we took positions at another church in Archdale for youth pastor and children's pastor. Um, and so, so we went away for about a year. Um, and it... it did not it did not fit we gave it a year but it did not fit there but all the while I kept in touch with Pastor Tom and so we'd talk and, and go to lunch um, and then I and I remember we were eating Mexican um, talking about that I was leaving this church and then he we just started discussing an opportunity at Wonderful Hills Church and that'll be uh, 10 years this year right yeah June the upcoming June 10 years yeah yeah and I remember that because you I did not know you were leaving the church. I just know it, it wasn't a great fit. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to say, like, uh, I'm pitch the idea and see if he'll come on staff here. And so God, God was already working a couple things over that day and culminated over Speedy Gonzalez at La Fiesta. Oh, yeah. Um, I was pastoring. I was an assistant pastor, youth pastor at a church in Arizona, and uh, I as it goes with assistant pastoring, sometimes it just kind of runs its course, 
and uh, the Lord had been developing just a desire to vision cast and be strategic planner, and that opportunity may not have been there at that church. So, uh, so I knew our time had come to the end, and we were—I I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know—I'd never been at a church for eight and a half years. I didn't know how to leave and where to go and what to do. And I thought, am I going to betray these people if I go to another church? I, I, I didn't know how to get my head around it. And then I got a phone call. Um, I had been a college baseball coach, so I got a phone call from another college asking me if I'd come interview. And so I ended up uh, coaching. Um, in some ways, I might have been running from ministry a little bit. I'm not quite sure. I just was a little lost and uh, did that for three years. And my summer job, because it's a nine-month contract, was mowing uh, the sports fields. And so I'd go by myself and mow for eight hours. Um, and one of the days in my third summer, the Lord just put the thought in my head, you about done with this baseball thing. And I was like, hmm, yes, I guess I am. And it was almost immediate. Uh, maybe you have a similar story of things that just changed like that. Uh, but from that point, I, all I wanted to do is be in the church. I just wanted to pastor. I wanted to be in the church world. The church is flawed. There's people that have been hurt by the church world. And I just was like, I want to go and I want to be a part of helping church be what Christ envisioned the church to be and when we read the New Testament. So, um, but nothing opened up. I sent stuff out and like no one was interested, I guess. And uh, I, the, I only sent one senior pastor, about 20 different uh, applications, only one senior pastor. It was here at Wendover Hills. Um, which, if you remember at the time, you know, there's about 30 people with cats and dogs. So it was, you know, and I thought, well, surely maybe they'll just call. They did not. Uh, so uh, we, we got back on the field, and I thought, well, I'll just coach another year, and then we'll see what happens next summer. And I got a call October 10th from Rich Brindle, who was the vice chair of the board, and said, hey, we want to talk to you. We just went over your resume. And I'm like, uh, who is this? No, <laughs> it had been three months. And, uh, they, of course, the first thing he said was, we're only interested in people who have been senior pastors. And I'm like, you see my resume. <laughs> you know that's not the case. Why are you calling me? Uh, but it just worked out. The Lord opened up a door. Um, that was 13 years ago. Next Sunday would be when we flew out to kind of do a preview Sunday and preach. Some, a couple of you were there that Sunday. You, do you remember, Stephen? Because it snowed. Yeah. yeah, like a quarter inch. Like, are we going to have church tomorrow? I don't know if they're going to have a church tomorrow. I'm like, I'm, I'm here from Chicago, okay? We've, we've got 10 times of an ice pack on the ground already. Yeah, and so the Lord opened up a door. I came January, um, and it's been 13 years come this January. Wow, yeah. awesome. And with that being 13 years, how has your preaching changed in that time during 13 years? Um, whew, I don't know. Uh, maybe ask Stephen that, too. He's been here the whole time. Um. I would say if there's been a shift, the biggest shift has probably been from what was very, very common and still is in the contemporary church world um, and in contemporary preaching books. So I'm talking about more books that have been written in the last 20 years or so. It would be a very how-to style of, of sermon. Now, I, I want to explain it not so I don't minimize it, but it would be a how to save your marriage. Um, and then there might be three or four points, and then you might scatter around to uh, back up those points with, with a few verses around, either, either one verse or maybe a collection of verses around. Um, probably because I've been with the same group of people, well, it's been a, you know, a, a fluid group, but um, this group of people for 13 years, at some point in time, I'm, I just felt like 
we don't learn the Word of God that way. Um, I, I, nothing wrong with a topical or how-to. We still hit on it sometimes. But I wanted to get more into the Word where we were talking about larger passages, talking about the context. And what did the writer mean when the writer said it to the people they, say, they said it to? And then use that to ask, now, what can it mean for, for me today? And how do I... Um, what are good parallels for application? Um, that would be one big thing that we're much more, call it expository today, uh, than topical. And I think what the second thing would be, um, and some of you remember this because you were here, I used to have, a, a, in the takeaway section, I was very clear on the application. I would put like one or two, like, here's a way you can apply this this week. Write a love letter to your spouse and put it on the nightstand. You know, like it was very direct. Um, and at some point, I just felt like God saying, you know, you're really limiting what the Holy Spirit might want to speak to people's hearts by giving them one application. What if, what if instead you ask them the question, how might you apply this to your life? Why don't you write something down the Lord is telling you? And then you can have 120 different applications. Um, your job, articulate the passage and the context and what God is saying in the passage then the Holy Spirit was saying, let, let me take over on the application part. Um, and so that, that would be another way it's, it's changed. Better or worse, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> have to ask somebody else. Right. And Pastor Anson, how do you think leadership has changed in the past 13 years and, you know, ways that you guys have grown as leaders? I just let the team do whatever they want to do. That's basically how, that's how I've, I've promoted my son to assistant worship leader now, so... He calls Assistant the shots. Assistant worship leader. Yeah, he calls the shots now. You get paid for that? Wow. <laughs> That's good. Awesome. And uh, this is a little bit now a different route. Is What is your guys' favorite Bible story and why? And maybe exclude a Bible story that's from Judges. Um, so uh, my favorite story is the story of Joseph uh, in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, you know he, he goes through quite a few challenges, I mean, to say the least. But quite a few challenges uh, in in this uh, this story. But what I, I value or what I take away from that story is that through through his, this entire time that he's um, going through these trials, you know, he's sold off, he's almost killed, he's in prison, all these things. He he always leaves keeps his faith in in God, and he always keeps his integrity, and that really spoke to the kind of man that 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 I want to be and hope hope to be. And so, so that, that helped me to um, really dig deep in, you know, well, where are, are these areas that God will be able to show me how to be the man in, in my life, in my context? Now, I'm not being thrown in prison, but I still have ups and downs that are, that are in, to me, they're, they're pretty terrible at times, you know what I mean? So how do I keep my faith and how do I keep my integrity um, through all these trials? So that's good. Thank you. Pastor Tom? Well, Pastor Reese, mine's from Judges. Uh, I I was, now you have to remember, I'm a middle school guy, eighth grade boy when I heard this. And uh, my youth pastor shared the passage in Judges chapter 3 about uh, the the Israelites were, were, uh, they were subject to King Eglon at the time. So they had done evil and Eglon took them over and God sent a deliverer, Ehud, to them, and the Bible makes a, a, a point of saying he was a left-handed man, um, and so uh, he goes in. He gives tribute to the king. Um, the king is like all buttered up that 
he's getting this tribute, and he basically lets down his guard and eventually invites Ehud into his inner uh, layer where, where he's not supposed to have anyone, and the guards are standing outside, and Ehud says, I have a message from you, uh, to you from the Lord, and he stabs him with his sword from the left side, um, so that would have been something they wouldn't expect it. Everything came from right-handed people, and it's in a, a junior high boy, so it says, and the fat oozed in over the handle of the dagger, so as a junior high boy, you know, we love that kind of stuff, and then Ehud Get, takes off, and it says that, it, now this is, when it's the inner sanctuary, this is like the bathroom, if you, uh, that's, that's the setting, and it says that the guards waited to the point of embarrassment, um, again, that's, good, that's just good junior high boy humor to think, he is on the toilet a long time, um, that is why this, this story resonated, like why I remember it, um, but the impact it had on me later when I had a little bit higher maturity level, uh, I was a college guy, it's only a little bit higher maturity level, but um, was the left-handed part that if God, if everyone was right-handed, then he was overlooked, or for some reason God chose to use him when seemingly you would use a warrior for that uh, situation, and it it just stuck with me. If God wants to use me, He'll use me. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter what I think or what my deficiencies I might think they have. God will say, I want to use you. I want to use you for this important endeavor, and, and God wants to use, use me. And they'd be, I mean, the same would be true for you. If God wants to use you, like that's command to you if God says, I'd like to use you, you know. Be used because whatever your deficiencies, clearly God says, not a problem to him. Right. That's good. And a lot of times I think when we read Scripture, we wonder, what is the best translation to use to read? And what do you guys think about that? I know Pastor Anderson only reads from the Greek. <laughs> Big staff meeting's tough when it's his devotional week. Oh. Um, uh, you know, there, there, I, I threw this graph up. Graphic. I did not bring a slide. <laughs> I didn't know I was this supposed is... to bring material. <laughs> oh. I, because I think when, that's how we ask the question a lot. What's the best translation? What's the translation I should be using? And that would be like saying, what's the pizza I should be eating? Um, you're going to get 10 different answers from people that say this is the best pizza. Um, you know, the correct answer is Chicago style. But uh, this is similar in helping us understand there's three different ways to think about translations. There's the word for word. That takes kind of the Greek or Hebrew, and it tries to pull the word straight across. There's a little bit of rearranging so it reads. Um, and then there's the thought for thought. So, like, what is the thought of this sentence or this phrase? And then the words are re, kind of reordered so that the thought comes out. And then there's a paraphrase where the, o the overall idea, it would be like this. Um, if you told me a story, I am then going to say, let me tell you that story in my own words. I just want to be true to the story, though. Don't add, don't take away, but, but share the story in my own words. That's more of a paraphrase uh, version. The answer to the question would be, get a translation you'll read. It, it, just get a translation you'll read, and that's fine. Uh, if you get a translation that sits on your desk, but you say, now that's the purest translation right there. Who cares if you're not reading it? doesn't matter, right? Uh, so you get one that you'll read. You're going to learn, though, that if you want to do some study, if you want to say, what exactly did Paul write in the original language? The further you go in that left column, the, the closer you're going to get. It's also going to get harder to read. All the way over the interlinear uh, uh, translation, that's basically Greek here, 
English word here. It's taken directly across, no concern for English ordering. Um, you'll see how choppy that is to try to read in English, but you'll get to see it straight across. But you pick up the message on the far right, and the message is so, so wonderful. Like, it's like you're sitting there having this devotional conversation to God, which is Eugene Peterson, the writer of that, which is exactly how he wrote the message version. So, again, get one, you read. There's, there's one that's thrown in here, um, and that is the King James Version. Um, it, was, it was first penned in uh, 1611. Uh, it was a, a number of editors that, that worked together and scholars that worked together on that. And it kind of took hold because it was, it was completely different, the language. Um, there's no doubt it's, it's always referred to as you know, a, a literary work of art. Um, but from a straight translation perspective, it's not necessarily better or worse than other translations. Um, they use the same Greek manuscripts uh, to pull across. One advantage of some later translations is there's more documents that have been found. Dead Sea Scrolls being a huge one. Over 400 documents were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so um, some of that is used in some newer translations uh, there. But... Um, uh, but it, it, the King James does not go back to, you know, Peter and Paul of the Bible. It was uh, 1611, the King, you know, uh, James King of England uh, commissioned it uh, to be written. But uh, so all of this can be very helpful. Um, get one you'll read in there. Uh, a question I'm asked sometimes is, is like, are there theological differences? Like, do theologians try to translate the Bible to get their theology in there? Um, it's yes and no. <laughs> Nobody is purposely trying to do that, right? But if you have an opinion on something and you're trying to tell me a story, I probably pick up on the opinion that you might have, right? And you might be being 100% truthful to the story. And that happens sometimes, especially when it's not clear what exactly does the Greek word mean here? What is the exact context? And there's a question. Maybe there's a couple different options. And the translator says, well, this kind of fits in theologically with what we know, so they translate it one way and another translates it. These are such subtle and minute things, though, um, that they, these are not things to, to say, well, that one's this theology. I'm throwing that out the window. Um, and I'm pretty strong Wesleyan Arminian and not Calvinist, and, you know, they, they're, they don't become issues for me. Good. And uh, Pastor Anson, with the material that you brought, you know, mentally in your head, is there anything you would like to add to that? Um, just, just from a little more uh, uh, practical side, when, when my wife and I read together at night, we would prefer to read something more paraphrased, like the story, because it just reads a little smoother uh, at night. We're not trying to break down things and study necessarily. We just want the stories to, to help us at night. But as we're studying specific things, then we'll go back to a, a word-for-word um, NASB or ECW or something like that. Um, okay. But then we'll refer back to the paraphrased versions um, as we're reading those just to get a little more perspective. So that's kind of a bounce back and forth technique that we use. Awesome. Thank you. And what's ECW stand for again? <laughs> East Coast Wings. Okay. <laughs> that's a great translation. Oh, when in doubt, go to ECW. That. <laughs> anyway, so... As, you know, maybe a lot of times we have what we think is the best translation be influenced by online and social media and what we hear. 
What do you, how do you guys think that just streaming and the internet has influenced the church today? All right, so I kind of have a love-hate relationship with, with online streaming, maybe even technology in general. But, and so we've, um, we've tried for, you know, for all these years to try to put uh, something online, uh, something that we can use content-wise now and, you know, for future uh, events or broadcasts or things like that. The tech is just so complicated that um, it has just been so difficult to get right. And um, I was telling someone the other day, I, I'll do the research, 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 and try to find some software or a piece of hardware that I think will help. And as soon as I decide that that's what I want to do, they come out with something that's new already. And so I, I'm, I'm just baffled at how, how often they come out with some new piece of technology. And then especially in the church world, there's, there's dozens upon dozens of companies now that are targeting specifically the streaming, the online content, um, apps, you know, that are specific to your church, um, your web pages that are that that have a specific format that they feel like is best for a church or whatnot. And so, it's it's just overwhelming at times. But I understand the benefit that we're trying to get to. You know, it has a reach that online that we don't have physically here in the building. So I understand that. But getting to that point has just been a fight. Um, pulling my hair out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That first year, first year of COVID when we we're all going to streaming every church, and you should have seen the, you know, the, the brain trust sessions we had. I'm not sure how much, you know, brain trust there was, but we were, we just didn't know what we were doing, um, period. And um, yeah, I would say I'm similar. I might say it this way. Can I say it from the perspective as a pastor, as a shepherd? Um, when, when I know my parents live in Arizona, um, and, and it's not like my parents were in church week in and week out. And I, I, I know I'm running a risk because they're watching this. Um, and, but when COVID hit and we started streaming, my parents were in church every week watching streaming. Like as a shepherd ushering people into worship, I, I do whatever it takes, I, whatever it takes to usher people into worship. And so it gives me great joy to know my parents are watching. We have a family friend named Lois who she battles cancer. She has chemo treatments and she just does not feel good in the morning ever. Um, and she sits and she watches every week. Uh, like anything, as a shepherd, anything we need to do, um, from a technology, figuring out OBS. Um, and uh, now from unequally shepherding side, the side of shepherding where you use your staff and your rod sometimes, um, if somebody says, well, we were kind of tired this morning, so we just decided to stay home, or, you know, we couldn't find a couple of the kids' shoes. Listen, I understand. We had five, three, and one at one time. Um, so on that side, I kind of want to use the cane to wrap it around and say, get yourself to church. We can't, we can't do the same thing. You can't do the same thing online um, as you can when you're with the family, when you're with the community. Um, and I don't think we understand in our culture fully the value of that community and what, what it does for us. So that's my kind of back and forth uh, with, with the streaming. Um, I want to offer it. And another thing, and can I just talk blunt with you, congregation? I mean, we're, we're in this together. Um, we don't use it as an invite enough. Like, we're, 
we've got this incredible tool, and that's what it is. It's just a tool. It's, it's no different than the building's a tool and whatever. Um, but to use it, to say, we have streaming. I'm going to use it all over my social media. I'm going to use it as invites. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull clips and use it. If, if I was like, man, our congregation is just using it all the time, this technology, we'll do our best to keep up with you <laughs> the best we can, even though we're trying to learn a lot of this as well. Um, also, we want to be, uh, this stuff costs money. Um, we want to be careful with the budget and, and what, you know, what you and I give to the church and how we use that as well. Um, so I think it's an incredible tool. I think we could use it to a much deeper degree. Um, I don't always know that it is what we might hype it up to be uh, for the church world as well. So I, I don't know. Was that just rambling? No. Yeah, it was, Kevin? No. So you don't care. You don't care. <laughs> so. We have one that was listening, <laughs> at least. All right. So kind and of And as we, you know, tend to compare and contrast the differences between how we experience church here in this building versus how others do, you know, whether it be down the street or in another state or in another nation, uh, we see uh, so many times we see differences such as a question came in about communion. And it said, why do some churches take communion weekly? Why do some take it monthly? And how often do we need to take communion? Well... So we kind of we kind of lean on the side that um, well let me let me step back. There's kind of interpretation of a couple passages uh, when Jesus says do this in remembrance of me. We we clearly know we do communion because Jesus is saying this is what I did for you. This is what this whole thing is about, um, and the whole concept that what Christ does for us feeds us. And so the idea of taking communion is very important that we literally take communion. Um, so clearly we have that from Jesus. Um, Luke writes in um, Acts 2, he, he talks about when the church gathered, there was breaking of bread. Some say that means they were having communion every time. Others say, no, that means they were having meals together every time. So there's a little bit difference of opinion on that. Um, if you side with one, you say, well, every time we gather, we better be doing communion. If the other side, it's centered around the table, the fellowship, the community, um, and then Paul, twice, two different times, Paul says something that sounds like, as often as you gather, do communion, do this. Um, I would say, looking at those passages, if you interpret that passage as every time the doors are open and we come together, you got to do communion. We need to do communion. Then you're going to lean on that side, and that's why it's going to be part of your every week. It might be part of your every midweek service. If you look at that and say, no, what Paul is saying is this should be a regular activity of the church. This is not a one and done. Jesus didn't just do it. Um, this is a regular thing that the church should do as well, just like baptism, um, you know, those types. Then whether it's every week, once a month, uh, every other week is not as, as significant. Um, we tend to side there. Um, which is why we do it once a month. Some other churches see it the other way and say, no, every church service should have this because it seems like maybe Paul was saying that too. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of where the differences come from in that. It's just kind of a little bit of impractical interpretational. Awesome. Thank you. And the last question is, and then, you know, I'm going to see if I can convince anyone to go buy me a Speedy Gonzalez, um, is how did you share the Christian faith with your kids? And how do you cultivate that space within your home as we desire for our home to be Christ-like? What does that look like? Um, so our kids were, were young as, as we were still trying to figure out uh, faith and what it looks like for us 
at the same time. So we 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 probably did um, what what a lot of a lot of uh, parents just sort of go to. So at first, we let the church. We we were like, we're gonna let the church, um, you know, speak into our kids. The their the professionals. They they know what they're talking about. We're gonna let them. So we're gonna send them. Send them. Try to get them. Um, to, to learn as much as they can that way. We didn't feel like that was, <laughs> it wasn't a whole, there was some growth there, don't get me wrong, but it just didn't seem like there was um, uh, the right kind of relationship that, that we were looking for. And then later on, I think we, we try to do more of a modeling type of idea. Okay, we'll just get it involved in everything and we'll do everything and the kids will see us and they'll, they'll be inspired on their own and they'll run out and want to do that. And that kind of doesn't work. It works some, but... Um, it just didn't work like we thought. You know, we didn't know any different. But about three years ago, um, with Bray, we we started, uh, we call it Lovingly the Dudes Group. It was just a group of guys doing a Bible study. Um, but we walked through the discipleship material, um, the Discovery Bible study stuff. And, and that was an absolute game changer. Um, as we walked through the Bible and had discussion um, just within one year, one year made so much difference in, 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 in Braden's faith, um, his, his, his wanting to ask questions, him feeling free to, to ask whatever, you know, question he, he had, and our, our relationship grew. And, man, I wish I had done that, that one-on-one, week over week. Um, well, it was a couple of guys, but, you know, pretty much dedicated a time week over week. I wish I had done that 10, 12 years ago. With both my kids, that that made such a difference. We still do it now, and and it is just it has just been the greatest thing I think for us. And that that's just how we found our little niche to to really um, bond and 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 be discipled by each other. So, yeah, that's good. Um, well, we've been married twenty seven years, twenty seven and a half, and our kids are twenty four, twenty almost twenty three, two weeks, um, and or one month. I guess I should know that. Um, and 18. And so now we like, we look back and we're like, hey, we got adult kids. Um, and I can't tell you, along the way, I probably could talk for an hour about what not to do, um, what we would go back and do differently. Um, but if I had to sit down, if somebody made me write a book on saying, what did you guys do that worked? Um, I probably have three points and one philosophy. Um, I think the, the, the first one would be that we looked at what are the, like, what are the absolutes in, that we're going to build into kids? Like, you got to brush your teeth every day. Like, that's an absolute. Um, you got to take a shower, you know, every, every day. We learned, you know, especially when the boys became middle schoolers, you've got to take a shower. So um, you're going to go to school, right? And we just decided we're putting, we're putting faith in church on that level or above. So they're going to hear from us, you're going to church or you know, we're going to read the Bible. Um, we're going to live these things out. We're going to talk about Jesus. Um, we're all doing it together. We're going. We're going to make this important. So there was no age where it was like, you know, there's that philosophy of, of we don't want to force our faith on our kids. And we just decided we just didn't buy into that at all. We just decided our kids are going to go along with us um, the whole time. Where we allowed them to explore their own faith was in our conversations. And we thought, if you come home and go like, I don't think the pastors know what he's talking about. We don't believe, you know, we wanted to allow that conversation and allow people uh, or allow the kids. I remember one time where James came home and he was just like, 
I just don't see how the Trinity is accurate. <laughs> and, and like there was a period of time where he was like, I don't think I believe in the Trinity, you know. And, you know, in my head, I'm kind of like, oh, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but we decided instead of saying you can go to church, you can go to a youth group or not, well, like you're going to youth group, that's what we do. But we're going to let you explore in conversation whether you're, you're latched into these things. And I'm always going to kind of take them back to say, well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought that way about it. Make your biblical case for me. I'd love to hear more from you. you know, and we would allow that conversation. It didn't matter what it was. Just allow that conversation. So that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing, and I would highly advise this. We didn't know we were doing it right in the process. But we found it turned out to be three. Christian couples who had raised Christian kids whose kids were grown, loving the Lord, and serving in churches. And we went to them and said, tell us how you did it. We, we just, we'll, we'll buy you dinner and tell us how you did it. With Patty Kidder, she bought us dinner. So that was even, you know, double bonus. So, but we just asked people, how did you do it? Um, I mean, I've been here 13 years. No one's ever asked this question. Um, now, maybe some people look at how I'm raising my kids and go, we don't want to have anything to do with that. So it, it's possible. It's possible. But if you can find somebody whose kids, especially if they're grown, and they're loving the Lord, um, or, you know, and not, even you can do it perfect, and they, they don't all come out, you know, loving and serving in the church, but if you can find somebody, you can say, man, there's some success there, go ask them, how did you do it? Just tell me how you did it, um, and they will probably tell you things that are not biblical absolutes that you already know, they will tell you practical things they did throughout the process, and that can be incredibly helpful, um, so I would encourage that, and and I think, I think the third thing uh, for us is um, we just built church into everything that, that we did. So, like, we would come home for trips. We'd come home on Saturday night so we could be in church the next morning if, instead of driving home on Sundays. Now with streaming, we will, we'll, we'll drive home and watch services. So that's a little bit of a, a benefit. We'll find a church when we're on vacation to go to church together. If mom was out of town, because remember, I wasn't always pastoring. I was baseball coaching these times, too. So I wasn't, you know, um, didn't have to be there on Sunday. If mom was out of town, I didn't say, well, let's take this Sunday off. You know, was, we carried that discipline and said, well, mom's gone, but we'll go. Um, that, and we just built into that the discipline of being in church. Because, listen, if, if your kids love the Lord, there's no guarantee they'll stay plugged into church after high school. Um, so the building of the discipline of it is important as well. Now my kids are grown, and, um, and I don't think I've had a conversation with them. I said, you have to go to church because they're grown. Um, but they are, and I'm, I'm, we're blessed for that. Um, and, uh, but building the discipline, that was some. Here was, here's the philosophy. Those are the three things. And then the, the overarching philosophy would be this. Um, if you're not going to do it, um, then you're going to have a hard time pushing it on your kids. That, that, like that works in the, the football, basketball world where you say, you know, I, I want you to get really good at football. You love football, and we'll sign you up for all these leagues and these clinics, but you're not going to go to those, right, as a parent. It would be comical if you did, but uh, it doesn't work in Christianity. You, you, you can't just send your kids. You have to do it. Um, we had this conversation, Pastor Reese, when he was living at my house, um, when my grocery bill was was much higher, much higher. 
much higher. Look, I'm getting a phone call. Oh, right now. I think that's my wife's ringtone. A reminder. So she's like, why is he still talking? He should be done. So, um, <laughs> um, I don't know what I was saying. But the philosophy is, it, it, we were having this conversation about, uh, like, the number one thing, if you want to be a great parent with your kids and see them grow, is you got to live it. They have to see the same thing. They can't see you on Sunday morning and go, man, my dad's a spiritual giant, and not see it throughout the week. Better that you come off the spiritual giant on Sunday morning status and just be who you are seeking God, trying to put this into practice, and then them see that throughout the week. But consistency is important. And if you think, and I just struggle throughout the week with my faith, get a discipleship partner. Get into a spiritual growth group. Don't leave it there. Go, because it's not you, just you. That's, that's you building into your kids um, in what you do on your own. So that would be the philosophy. You got to got to live it as well. So Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for your time and just for answering these questions. As we know how hard it can be just as a believer in Christ to live this life in this world, um, I just want you to even imagine how more difficult it can be as a leader in the church. So with that, I just want to spend time in prayer over them. So if you wouldn't mind, would you just reach out a hand, um, extend it towards them, and I'm just going to pray over them So we end this service. Heavenly Father, Lord God, you have been so good. You have been so faithful. We thank you for bringing these two special people to this building, to this church, um, and to shepherd your flock. Lord, we believe that you have called them here for a reason, and we have seen their leadership. We have seen their abilities, the ways that you have blessed them and uh, created them. Um, and Lord, we just thank you for that. We pray that you would lift them up um, in those weeks when it could be so easy, but there's also so many weeks that would be so difficult. And we pray that you would encourage them, that, they, that only you would lift them up, that by your spirit you would bring them through, um, and that they would continue to be led by your spirit and your spirit alone. Um, for the Lord, we just want to be, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, and I believe that we have two leaders here who we desire to imitate as they imitate you, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for them, their obedience and their faithfulness um, to you and you alone. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this time. It's in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you guys mind just putting your hands together for these two?